This podcast is sponsored by William H. Sadlayer Incorporated. For over 188 years, Sadlayer has been providing meaningful catechetical and proven academic resources for Catholic educators. Understanding by Design is incorporated in many of their programs using assessment to inform instruction and ultimately guiding students to independent learning. Check out Sadlayer Math and see how its instructional design moves students to successful math proficiency. Learn more at www.sadlayerschool.com backslash sadlayermath. Thank you for listening and thank you to Sadlayer for sponsoring this episode. Greetings. Thank you for joining the NCA podcast. We are very glad that you are with us. Today's guest is Michelle Leah, and Michelle is an outstanding Catholic educator who I've worked with for the last 10 or 12 or more years, and um, I am delighted that you've joined us this morning, Michelle. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes, I'm thrilled to be on. Um, I have been working with the Andrew Greeley Center for Catholic Education for the last 12 years, mostly working, uh, leading professional learning and instructional coaching. And prior to that, I was a classroom teacher in both Catholic and public schools and a reading specialist. That's right. And you and I first met because you um, did a lot of work with us on reading and teaching teachers how to teach reading using a lot of different texts, including Catholic texts, um, when we first met. And you were excellent at that. Thank you. It's a love of mine to try and find ways to help kids to love reading but and also to learn how to read. So, um, And if we can bring in the faith, that is a, a wonderful thing that I think also makes kids want to learn to read. I, I think you're right. I think it's just one more layer um, that Catholic schools can offer that others can't. And um, and the kinds of texts we can use when we're teaching children to read. Um, it, it's nice to be able to teach values and faith in those texts. And um, again, you were you were excellent at that. So, Michelle, you've written a, a book for NCEA, a brief book. <laughs> and could you tell us about it? Yes, it's in the Universal Design for Learning Brief series, and it's uh, called Getting Back, Getting Started with Backward Design. And the whole idea about it is to learn how to use backward design, which is to plan with the end in mind. And I think that in the last 13 or 14 months, a lot of teachers saw the benefits of having had a year-long plan or a curriculum map, and the book is meant to help with figuring out what it is that you want students to know, understand, and do, and then to plan ahead. And in thinking of universal design, that also means to, to predict what the barriers might be so that you can meet each student's needs. Right. And I think if you're an experienced teacher, you, you might be able to predict better those things that um, kids don't get the first time or like every time I teach this, the the kids don't get it and it's the second day that they get it or something like that. How do we help new teachers to this world of understanding by design, working with the end in mind when they've never seen the end because they've never seen the end of the year before? That's a great question. I think that one of the things that I know that I wasn't good at as a new teacher was planning because I 
had had so many great teachers that I thought it just organically happened. It's sort of like students think that reading just naturally happens and actually readers have to be thinking and, and processing. But so I think that teachers need the mentoring and the support of their fellow teachers to know that you want to actually over plan. And I think that if you've ever been <laughs> planning for uh, an NCEA convention presentation or just fourth period math, that you always want to over plan to make sure that you have enough content and uh, active engagement for students to be able to actively learn for uh, learn the content that they need. Right. And you, I think your your book really tackles two topics when I was reading it. I was thinking about this because it's not only with the end in mind, but it's also what can we do to, to make sure that the most learners can learn most easily without impediments? And, and those are two things that work hand in hand, but they are two distinct things. They are. And it's... Um... We all have had students in our classes today, no matter what, things really haven't changed in the last however many years you've been teaching. We always have students who on a Tuesday, they completely and totally understand something. And on a Wednesday, we have students who don't understand it at all. So we really want to, um, Mike Boyle always said, if you can predict it, you can prevent it. So we want to make sure that we can think on our feet. And uh, just as a little plug too, I think that I don't think it's possible to teach without assessment, not testing, but assessment. And I think that's a really important part of both universal design and backward design. I, I could not agree more. And that gets overlooked. And you're right. It doesn't have to be paper and pencil task. I remember telling teachers that a lot when I would work with teachers. It does not have to be. You don't have to grade everything you do. Um, no. <laughs> and we, we kind of get sucked into that. And parents help us get sucked into it because they want, you gave my son a whatever grade based on only seven assessments. Well, actually, no, I've been assessing all year. Didn't write them all down. But, you know, and I think we get sucked into you have to have a certain number and you have to do this or that. And that's not really true. Um, so I, I love the way you're looking at assessment, but, you know, just to help the kids learn more and nothing else. Yes, I always say that the, the, the best assessors, honestly, are art teachers, music teachers, physical education teachers, preschool teachers, kindergarten teachers, because they don't depend on paper, pencil assessments. They are always watching, observing, taking anecdotal notes, and they are really good at that. Right. And I, I've always related to the, to those things, too. And um, I always think about sports because the assessment is so public. Um, yes. You know, and, and so it's, you know, it is part of it. The other thing is, um, I, I'm wondering how you think about this, but, you know, assessments for teachers used to be very public, too. And I'm not suggesting we return to that, but it's really interesting. I, on my wall in my office, I have two um, teaching licenses one from my grandmother and one from a, an aunt, and um, one from 1895 and one from 1903 from the state of Illinois, and their test scores, because they'd take a test every year to prove they were competent, and their test mm -hmm. scores are right on their license, and that was hung in their one-room schoolhouses. So their students knew their scores. That's so cool that you have that on the wall of your office. I love that. It is. Um, but I always think, how would that have been for my students to have my assessments mm -hmm. on my office wall and have them see? I mean, maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. But um, they would have found I struggled a little bit with physics. <laughs> <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> so, but I, you know, I, it, but it's really interesting to me because in the late 1800s, early 1900s, you know, that that's the way it was done. And um, again, 
just making sure that everybody knew what they needed to know in order to test. And it's really interesting. There was no great inflation because um, I know, especially my grandmother, she was really, really smart, um, but she got an 83 in orthography. So just so you know, and many teachers today probably don't even know what orthography is. So it just shows that things change as we go through life and it's okay. It's, yes. It's, it's all okay. So um, understanding by design comes really from architecture. Uh, and so do you want to tell that story? Because I think it's a good story for people to know. Yes. Uh, universal design. If you've ever been to a, a grocery store or a big box store where when you walk up, the doors open automatically, or if you live in a place that has sidewalks and there are curb cuts, these are all things that are great if you are pushing a stroller. Uh, they're also great if you are in a wheelchair, if you have a grocery cart, um, if you have heavy bags. So um, if you're carrying a child, if you're carrying heavy bags, the idea is that there are um, eliminating the barriers, eliminating the need to hold a doorknob or pull a door uh, to, um, the, to eliminate having to step up, up over a curb. And we want to bring that idea of eliminating barriers into the classroom where if we can predict that having to use a doorknob is in this analogy, is going to prevent someone from learning, that's an easy fix. Then we use a push door or we use, you know, there are all kinds of different ways to make um, adjustments for that. Right. And I always think when I go to hotels that have the revolving doors, that how stupid it is because you have all the bags and trying to get in a revolving door with bags. And I always wish for universal design at that moment. And that's the truth. I do. I think yeah. about it. <laughs> it, because it's really true. So what are some of the ways that um, you feel like are the easy universal design things that we can we can just plan for immediately? For me, I know I always tried to think of um, every day, especially when I taught younger students, and I should have done more of it when I taught high school. I will say I was bad in that respect because I didn't think of it because at high school, I only thought about two ways to convey information mostly. But um, I, when I was presenting information, I always tried to think of a way that the kids would do something hands-on with the information as well as read it or, or talk about it, write about it. Um, but I don't, I don't know if you have other ways that you try to use universal design, but I always tried to make sure that I was gonna offer more than one way for students to access the information. That is one great way to get started. And that's one thing that I want to point out. It's similar to if you use the Daily Five, which is a reading workshop model. Mm -hmm. uh, if you, there are teachers, one thing that I've learned about Catholic school teachers in the last 12 years is that they want to do things perfectly the first time. And if they know that they can't do it perfectly the first time, then they feel that they don't want to, they, some people don't want to take a risk, which I completely understand. The thing is, is that why would you start with the Daily Five if you could start with the Daily one. So find one thing that you could make a change. So in your example, it's a great one. How are students receiving the information? Are, if you're talking about, I remember when I was a fourth grade teacher and we were studying long division and I was talking with my students only talking, using quotient, using dividend and divisor, and the, their little heads were tilting to one side. And then when I turned around with the perfectly nice whiteboard behind me and I wrote those words on the board, suddenly their heads tilted straight because they knew what I was talking about. So offering those kinds of different options for them to receive. The other thing I think about is, I think that we think we have to give, you know, Katie Novak from CAST talks about you have to give a, offer a buffet. 
the buffet doesn't have to have every single kind of learning on it. So if students are, are let's say they're reading together or they're doing math problems together, can they do the problems alone? Can they do the problem with a partner? Could they do the problem with a group of three? That's a really easy option. And we also want students to learn how to themselves make those good choices. So they need to be able to say, you know what? Long division is hard for me. I think today I'm going to work with a partner because I need someone to ask questions. Or I don't, I, it's, this is hard for me and I really need to focus. So I'm not going to work with a partner today. Um, I've worked with adults who have no idea how they work. They don't know what's best for them. And it's it's always surprising to me um, that by the time I would hire somebody that they don't really understand themselves that well. But it happens way more frequently than, than one might think. So I think that's another thing teachers can do is help your students to understand what do I need to learn? Do I need quiet? Do I not need quiet? Um, I remember, and this is a silly thing, but I remember I had a student with... Um, with an eye condition, they had to wear sunglasses. Mm-hmm. And and the uh, the mother was so upset because the children, you know, her child was going to be singled out. He was going to look different and all that. So all I did was, and this is no lie at this time, this is how old I am. You could buy sunglasses for like a dollar pair. And I, I told all the kids that I've just put out like 10 pairs of sunglasses. If you want to wear sunglasses, you can. And here's what was amazing. Almost all the kids tried them at one point. But the one that I had two other kids who actually started wearing sunglasses in the classroom in the morning because it was an east facing room and we had a lot of sun in the morning. And so now it wasn't just one child who needed to wear sunglasses. And I really discovered something. So my my students benefited from that. And all I did was put out sunglasses and say you can wear them so one child wouldn't feel left out are the alone. And it turned out a couple of other students benefited from that. (laughs) So, you know, and that that really became a philosophy for me. I mean, I just, I would put stuff out and say, do you remember color overlays when you were teaching reading? So, you know, the, the real ones like were very expensive. So, you know, I went and bought the acetate folders and just cut them in, in half and, and, and then just put them out. And some students use those every single day because it helped them. But again, I don't know if that was right or not, but they believed it helped them. What do I care if they use an acetate overlay? I mean, it didn't matter to me at all. And so I think just making things available because you don't know who might benefit. It's just like when the people who are designing the sidewalks or or the doors, they don't know who's going to benefit, but they just do it because someone will. I agree. I, I love the sunglasses story because I mean yeah, the cover, colored overlay because you never do know who's going to benefit from it. And to your point, who cares if, if you want to wear sunglasses and that's going to help you to want to read or do math problems or read the gospel, then amen. Yeah, I, I, I think we worry a lot about stuff like that when really, why are we worried about it? it really, at the end of the day, it does not matter. Um, you know, and I'm, my lights, eyes are very light sensitive. I, I like wearing sunglasses. So again, not a bother for me, but I, I think as teachers, we, we sometimes think these are crutches and kids can't have crutches. And the truth of it is these things don't really matter. And if it improves learning all the better. And I can hear somebody thinking, yeah, when they go to take the SAT test, you know, they'll figure it out, you know, as they get older. And here's the other thing, if they don't need it, they will not use it. Yes. And, you know, I, I listened to a podcast recently and the um, the person who was being interviewed mentioned that school is not a rehearsal for life. It's learning how to get to life. And I 
I know that that might be semantics, but I thought that was a really interesting comment that we can't expect sixth graders or 10th graders or second graders to know everything. We are here to teach. So we want to, we want to show them that trial and error. I used sunglasses today and it helped or it didn't. I used a color overlay, it helped or it didn't. I stood up while I was doing my math problems, it helped or it didn't. I worked with a partner, it helped or it didn't. So we need to help them learn what works for them. And it's okay if it doesn't. That's another, the, the growth mindset mm -hmm. I think has been one of the greatest, um, we, we've known it all along throughout all of history, but it's great that we know that failure is good. We wanna fail so that we can see what we did wrong, reflect and make changes. Right. And Michelle, you said that earlier, and I think that's a very interesting comment, is that Catholic schools teachers want to be perfect the first time. And, and I could not agree more. Catholic school teachers, and we are recording this on Teacher Appreciation Day, so teachers, we do appreciate you. But Catholic school teachers in particular are afraid that they're going to mess up or they're afraid they're going to hurt their student or both. And I think sometimes it keeps us from from experimenting a little, and it wouldn't hurt us to experiment a little using understanding by design for the first time, or using or designing things with the end in mind. Taking the this is what I want the child to know at the end of the school year. So this these are the steps I have to take to get them there. Um, and so I I love your comment that you know we can start with the daily one. We can just start somewhere. Just start. Just do it, as Nike would say. Yes. And I think with backward design, that it that also becomes overwhelming. Teachers will say, are you you're telling me that you want me to figure out all of the things that my students are going to learn in religion or science for this whole school year? Yes, I do want that eventually. But you know what? Let's think just on Monday when I see you again, if it's a Friday, you know, professional learning day mm -hmm. in your fourth period math class or when you have your students for religion, what do you want them to learn by the end of that class period? Start there, and that will make you see. I've had teachers say to me, I haven't written my year long plan, but you know what? I tried each day to think about what I wanted students to learn, and that was really helpful. So I, I appreciated that feedback because it is overwhelming. This is not easy work, but it and it takes time, but it is very freeing to be able to walk around your classroom and be really present with your students, knowing that you know where everybody's going. I think that's true. And again, you are so right. If we can just start by designing lessons where at the end of this lesson, a child will know. I do that when I plan meetings. At the end of this meeting, we will have determined A, B, and C. I mean, it gives you a focus and it gives you a goal and you get there much quicker when you know what you want to accomplish. I agree. I, I, I love meetings like that, too, <laughs> because you know that the person planned it really thoughtfully. And students really like that, too. They We don't want to drag things around. You know, I, I, I've i joked in the book, I talk about how learning is urgent and it may not feel urgent in February when it's wherever you live. It, it's very far from spring break and Easter, but it is urgent. We only have 180 some days with our students. So we do really want to be thoughtful about what it is they really need to know, understand and do. I, was, I can't believe you said that because my next thing on my list is to talk about urgency in school. <laughs> so so cue, cue Michelle, and she hit it. So let's talk about the urgency and the 180 days because when you look at standards for, for some subjects, it's overwhelming. If we mm. met all the reading standards in, a, in 180 days, man, you've worked hard. And then we have math, English, science, social studies, and religion on top of that. So 
How, how do you feel about the standards? Because I think standards and understanding by design and a design with the end in mind, I think all three go together really well. So, but I do worry about the time crunch and trying to get it all done in 180 days. The urgency of it is real. It sure is. Uh, yes. As far as standards go, let's go back to the architecture analogy. I don't want to go to an outdoor barbecue on someone's back porch that hasn't met the code, is not up to code, is not meeting the standards. So I, that's one thing, one way to look at it. The other thing is, is that standards to me are sort of a way um, uh, to keep us penned in. I, I worked with a teacher once who, unfortunately, her school's enrollment was going down. And so she became the third and fourth grade teacher. And she loved this one project which was that she they would get baby chicks and she would raise them and you know hopefully they would hatch right around easter it was a really lovely thing the problem was that that was in the first grade standards in in thinking about in their science standards so she not only was taking a first grade activity using first grade standards she was doing it with third and fourth graders who had already had it some of them had done it twice and so she missed out on a lot of learning and it as we are saying learning is urgent so we want to make sure that we use and if your diocese has priority standards that's even better that really focuses and drills down on the very most important learning it, it does and again the standards really help because i will be honest when i first started teaching there was no standard it was like you the each teacher made it up mm-hmm. and and that really wasn't the best way um, and I do remember the first time I gave a standardized test um, to a first grade <laughs> classroom, by the way, we started standardized tests with first grade classrooms. So yeah, but we can talk wow. about that later. But I remember thinking, well, at least I know what they're supposed to know by the end of the year. I literally thought that because mm-hmm. I had just been making it up. And, you know, I, I'm sure it was fine. I used the textbook and all of that kind of stuff. And most importantly, my teaching partner had taught, who without a college degree had taught for 38 years and taught a lot of children how to read. She taught me a lot about it my first year. But it's just like, you have to think about really, what do you want them to know, understand, or be able to do? I used to call it CUD. So, um, yes. but it's it's really, it's really important. And if teachers can think about that for each lesson, and then maybe we get to each unit, and then maybe we get to each semester, and then maybe we get to a, the, the whole year. And that can take a year process, or that can take two years or three years. Because I think, again, teachers are being students at that time, too, mm-hmm. using the same methods that they're going to ask their children to use. Yes, yes. It's... um. I think of backward design, if a school is starting with this, that it takes three to five years to do all of the year-long plans or curriculum maps, if you want to call them, all of the unit plans. The As far as the lesson plans go, that is something that the teacher can add his or her own bling to. They can you know, make that their own. Uh, but it does take a, a minute. It um, And, you know, I, I'm not a big um, – it's probably for another podcast. Standardized tests are, are a different story. But the thing about them is that – Students need to be able to read. They need to be able to comprehend. They need to be able to use the rigor, the applying to new and novel situations. And those are things that we want to do every day in our classrooms. And so that is a good prep for them to be ready for the standardized tests. Right. And I remember um, Grant Wiggins, um, who kind of started this this work and how we how we could do backward design. He um, 
I remember being in one of his workshops a couple of times, but he always, he would say kind of the same thing that you said is that, you know, don't do it alone. Do find a partner, find somebody to do it with, which I think is really important in teaching because if you can find a partner to talk to it, it, it's so helpful. And the other thing he would say in his workshops is you're going to mess it up and it's okay. But (laughs) you know, I, I, I always appreciated hearing that you're going to mess it up but it's going to be okay. And I, I think, I think that's really true. Um, could you talk about how you feel about working with colleagues and partners? Because I'm a big fan of PLNs. I think PLNs can, can really help us to be better teachers. I completely agree. I, I really believe that I am the teacher that I am today because of all of the people that I have had around me. And in some cases that was not an actual PLN, but in some cases it is. Uh Um, we actually on, um, this past school year, we had four ed camps with um, teachers in the mostly in the Archdiocese of Chicago, and um, it was interesting because they enjoyed it so much that some of the same returned. And so by the last one, we were a PLN, and we you know it was like we were old friends, even though we'd never met in person. And to to sit and hear all of the different ideas, you know, one of the brilliant ideas that one of the kindergarten teachers shared was that while technology was really hard at the beginning of the year, she realized that being able to watch the recording of Sunday's mass with her kindergartners on Monday, that she could pause and the kids could ask questions. They could see what the priest was doing up close. I thought that was brilliant. And I never would have learned that without a PLN. It is brilliant. I'm thinking about that right now, but that (laughs) is brilliant. And you did learn it from a PLN. And, And I think it's really important. And again, it's that's the other thing about technology. I hear people say, oh, I can't really get to know people. And I don't feel that way. Um, I have several employees I've hired at NCA. I've never met them in person, but I feel like I know them really well. Um, so I, I think the same is true for, for children. Do we want to be together? Absolutely. We have a need to do that. But it's not, it's not been all bad. And I also think, too, that um, if you were a teacher who believed in backward design, probably teaching online was easier for you because again you didn't have to create a new goal you had the goal you could just leave that let that be and then think about okay so how are we going to get there in this new world so i have a feeling that if you were engaged in backward design and universal design it may have been and i'll underline may have been because i don't know for sure but it may have been a little bit easier when we switched to um, virtual learning I did hear that from teachers. Uh, one of my former grad students, who's a high school teacher at a Catholic high school, she said that it was a relief to her to know that it was there. She said, you know, I'll be honest, that some of it just got thrown out because they were online a lot mm-hmm. because of the area where she teaches. But definitely, I think that people felt some comfort in knowing that they not only maybe that they had it, but that they knew how to do it and they could use it and they could fall back on it when they needed it. So, Michelle, what's the one lesson you want people to take away from your book? And I'm going to see if it's the same as mine. Is it only one lesson? Can I have two? You can, um, yes, you can have two. You're okay. the author. You can have two. One is to start small and try to think of the end in mind with just a lesson. And the second one is, is related. Take a, a risk. It can be a little risk, but try something new and um, it will benefit you and your students.
So mine was to take a risk part because, and that's why I brought in the Grant Wiggins quote, because I think it's really important. It's okay to try something new. And if it doesn't work great. And the other thing is maybe try it twice because maybe it didn't work the first time for a very specific reason that you identify, you can correct and go back at it. Um, I think that I think good teachers, that's what they do. They keep trying new ways because, you know, our students keep changing and they keep needing different things. And truthfully, some things that we were, did 30 years ago still work, but some of them don't. And it's, got, it's okay to try something new. It really will be okay. And I hope they take that away because this is an easy read as far as I was concerned. I sat down and I read it. It was interesting. It kept me engaged. But it, you don't go in and make it complicated. I think the book is very... I don't want to say simple because that makes it sound like it's not worth anything and that's not true, but you've outlined it so, so it's so clear about what to do, how to do it. And you encourage people to take a risk. So, um, and I think starting small makes a lot of sense. And, you know, how do you eat an elephant, Michelle? One, <laughs> one bite at a time. So um, exactly. I, I think, I think that's important. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we, we call it a, um, a podcast and move forward? I will add about the risk taking, and Kathy, you you are alluding to this. If you want to take a risk, do it now. If if you're listening to this at mm-hmm. the end of the school year, when you already know your students, so the risk is not as as big. You know your kids. There's there are fewer variables. So try something small and new now, and then it, because doing it in September is is a lot scarier because there are more variables. That's that's very good advice. I had not thought about that, but that's very good advice. Um, yeah, sometimes people don't realize it, but they take the risk when they're being observed because they do something they never do. Yes. And, and and that's kind of a silly time to take a risk. I will I will never forget when I was on a school visit. Um, I asked because I, I always talk to the students because it's adults are great. Students are better. <laughs> but I remember <laughs> I was in a fourth grade classroom and I knelt down and said to this student, what are you doing? Because I wanted to know if he knew what the learning goal was, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he says, I have no idea. We've never done this before. <laughs> and it's like, okay, you know, he says, I have no idea. We've never done this before. Okay, thank you. So um, he really did not know the learning goal. And it, by the end of the time, I was pretty certain the teacher didn't either. She was trying to create a lesson that would impress people. She mm-hmm. wasn't really clear on what she wanted the students to know, understand, or be able to do. And um, so my advice to you is don't try something new when the principal's going to come in and observe, not really the best time, or (laughs) when you're having a visit from um, an accreditation team. So Michelle, thank you for being with us. And thank you for your book. We really appreciate your time. And we appreciate the fact that you wrote this in a format that, like I said, I found very easy to read. And um, when I took notes on it, I have a page of notes. So (laughs) it was good for me. It's things I'm thinking about. And um, if you're listening, please feel free to take a risk. We, Michelle and I will be there to support you and um, let you know that it, that's okay. And if it works out great the first time, that's wonderful. If it doesn't, go go back and try it again because it may work out better the second time. And uh, again, everything worth doing takes a little bit of practice. That's right. And we do appreciate you teachers more than you know. Oh, absolutely. Teachers are absolutely the best. So um, thank you for listening. Thank you, Michelle, for being with us. And we hope that everybody has a wonderful day. And thank you, teachers. Bye.